truth seekers, freedom fighters, defenders of liberty, deplorables, lizard people, and ultra magas. I'm your host, Becca Marie, and you are listening to Freedom Speak, powered by Melted Snowflakes. On Conservative Talk, ABQ, KDAZ 96.9 FM, 700 AM, and listen from anywhere at conservativetalkabq.com. I'd like to invite you to check out my website at freedomspeakwithbeccamarie.com where you can listen to playbacks of any of my previous shows as well as other useful resources. You can send me your questions and comments and get started advertising by emailing me at beccamarienm at gmail.com. I've got a really, really packed show today and I've got a room full of guests that I think uh, you're going to really have a really good time listening to. I've been doing a lot of thought about the nanny state. It's often used to describe government overreach into our lives in the form of telling us what is good for us or keeping us safe. This term of British origin conveys a view that a government or its policies are overprotective or interfering unduly with personal choice. The term likens such a government to the role that a nanny has in child rearing. An early use of the term comes from a conservative British member of parliament, Lane McLeod, who referred to what I like to call the nanny state in the December 3rd, 1965 edition of The Spectator. By the 2000s, the term entered use in the United States by some political commentators. The term was used in an at-large sense against the legislative tendencies of liberal political ideology, such as in the banishment of smoking in public places or the enactment of mandatory bicycle helmet laws. Other examples include car seat, seatbelt laws, motorcycle helmet laws, a proposal in 2012 by New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg to restrict the sale of soft drinks in venues, restaurants, and sidewalk carts to 16 ounces. If the justification for seatbelt laws and so on is that they're for your own good, the same argument can be made about such things as dietary habits and exercise. What about other personal choices, such as the type of recreational sports or other activities you may be involved in, many of which, like rock climbing, skydiving, bungee jumping, motocrossing, or skiing, for example, are more dangerous than sitting at home reading a book? How come there are no government busybodies issuing tickets to people for doing such things as jogging when it's too cold or without the proper equipment? Where do we draw the line and on what basis? You can bet that if the government is ever able to eliminate private medical insurance and put everybody on a government-ran medical system, the powers that be would have a lot more to say about what you eat and what kinds of dangerous activities you engage in. I am sure almost everyone can agree that you are likely going to be safer by wearing a seatbelt or wearing a helmet when riding a motorcycle or bicycle. Most people would also probably agree that it's not healthy to eat a lot of fast food, drink sugary drinks, drink alcohol, do drugs, or smoke cigarettes. Most people also probably think that your chance of getting hurt or even killed increases by engaging in extreme sports. 
seatbelt laws and helmet laws are, in the first place, entirely arbitrary interferences with personal choices, which is different than actions or conduct that might affect others. For example, it is entirely legitimate for an airline to require seatbelt use on a commercial airline flight. I can tell you this from personal experience, being a pilot myself. There are times where you can be flying along in what seems to be very, very calm air, and then without any warning whatsoever, the bottom drops out from under you, and you end up flying out of your seat. That can happen, and that can happen on an airliner as well. So the justification for a commercial airline flight, for them having you wear a seatbelt, after all, it's their airplane. And if you get bounced out of your seat, you might cause injury to yourself and others or endanger the aircraft, either of which is potentially a liability to the airline. But such considerations don't apply to the private individual operating his privately owned automobile or on his motorcycle. If he gets hurt, only he gets hurt. Others are not affected. If we're going to accept as the basis for public policy the, the idea that it is the duty of government to involve itself in our private choices on the basis of compelling us all to do what's good for us, then it's pretty hard to see how to draw any line at all as to what the self-appointed busybodies, do-gooders, and wannabe dictators who use the force of government might decide to do to supervise, regulate, or even restrict us from doing pretty much any activity or life choice. As free Americans, why should anything we do be the government's business unless it may adversely affect someone else? And we need to be really careful with the interpretation of that statement. Unfortunately, this nanny state mentality got started years ago. And since then, it has been used to implement more and more of the same type of policy. Many people have been conditioned to believe it is okay. That same mentality has even led to people thinking that others should be forced to wear a mask or get an experimental injection to protect them against a disease that they may not choose to get protection from. The concept of protecting others has been very loosely interpreted here. These policies violate the founding principles of our country and there is no limit as to how far they can potentially go. This same kind of mentality is now being used against our right to keep and bear arms, which is also protected by the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, as well as in state constitutions. Because most people don't understand that the Constitution doesn't give us rights. I wonder how many people other than me took notice when President Brandon said that the Second Amendment is not absolute, or when some we're mentioning about modifying the Second Amendment. The Constitution does not take away freedom or give freedom. It protects our freedom. The right to self-protection was simply so important to the Founding Fathers that they included an amendment to further reinforce that idea. Shall not be infringed is absolute. Several days ago, Mr. Cognitive Decline himself claimed that 9mm guns are high-caliber weapons that can blow a person's lung out of their body. Those that actually know something about guns will tell you that a 9mm is only considered adequate for self-defense, but may require multiple shots to stop an attacker.
I know I carry a nine millimeter myself and I'm a good shot, which is why I think that probably it will be adequate for me. So I would like to tell Brandon the gun guru that even with the most dangerous hollow point ammunition available, a criminal unlucky enough to be shot directly in the lung with a nine millimeter weapon would retain over 95% of the lung within their body. His pronouncement is just a statement of ignorance. This same pretender in chief iterated for the second time in less than two years the futility of Americans attempting to fight against tyrannical leadership. His supposition is that guns are useless in this responsibility. The Second Amendment is not just about a right to hunt or the wielding of a weapon for sport, but it per persists with a greater mandate, and that is the possibility of needing to defend this republic against tyrannical despots. To our leadership, I say this, if our public servants continue this path of tyranny, such as we have seen the past couple of years, and enough people get to the point of where they feel they have nothing to lose, we could end up with an actual insurrection. This commander and puppet is just a talking head for those hidden in the shadows, whose goal is world subjugation and government. It is they who constitute the real head of the snake. I never thought I would ever hear an American president threaten to use F-15s against his own people. By the way, Brandon, an F-15 is an air-to-air -air fighting platform, and being that we only have guns and stand on the ground means that an F-15 would be ineffectual in urban warfare against Americans. If you had any knowledge at all of the weapons you wield, and you are thinking of ways to kill Americans, then you might use the A-10 Warthog, the F-16 Fighting Falcon, the AC-130 gunship, or who knows, maybe a drone attack. This king of the cognitively impaired likes to say that the amendments to the Constitution are not absolute. But for the purposes of limiting the power of government, absolute is exactly what they are. He likes to say that the right to keep and bear arms didn't include owning a cannon. But in fact, there were zero restrictions against private ownership of cannons. Lewis and Clark owned and took a small bore cannon with them while on their expedition west. The reason why very few people owned cannons was because of the exorbitant amount of money needed to buy them. I want to finish with this. The greatest threat to humans has never been and never will be inanimate, unthinking objects made of plastic, metal, and wood. The greatest threat to freedom and security are disturbed, desperate, and evil people whose only goal is political gain and power. So I think we can go a long ways talking about this nanny state mentality because in my opinion, this is where all of this tyranny kind of got started many, many years ago. I, my lifetime, I, I remember all these little things put into place. And, and you know, the seatbelt law, I personally wear a seatbelt myself, not because I'm being told to do it. I'm doing it because I want to. It's a smart thing to do. I, I don't have any desire, if I'm in an auto accident, to 
B, if I'm lucky, I'll be killed. And if I'm not lucky, I'll maybe fly through the windshield head first and end up with brain damage I'll have to live with for the rest of my life. I have no desire to live like that. I don't have any desire to be on my motorcycle and possibly be in a minor accident, fly off the motorcycle in something in which I would normally just get a few cuts and scrapes and maybe hit my head against something and end up with brain damage. I, I don't want to live my life like that. But do I think that my opinion on that and my thoughts on that for my own personal safety should be forced upon other people? No, I don't. Because we live in a free country. You, you have the right to make those choices on your own. You know, if, if you choose to be, in my opinion, stupid and don't wear a helmet and you don't wear a seatbelt and something happens to you, that's on you. You know, same thing with, with the th a lot of things we do in life are risky. So, so there's this culture of fear that they're promoting right now. They want everybody to be afraid of something all the time. And, you know, the one thing about people when they're afraid is they don't necessarily think straight. When people are afraid they are more apt to do what they're told. So I do a lot of risky things in life. Extreme sports, I do some of those things. I ride dirt bikes, I ride snowmobiles, I fly airplanes. I do a lot of things that are risky that uh, could potentially result in me being hurt. But that is my choice. And this whole concept of, of socialized health care and things like that, do you not think that that's going to come with a price tag? Do you not think that they're going to start dictating to you what is, what is good for you? It's like oh, they might say, oh, well, you're too fat and you need to do something about your diet because you're too much of a risk and this is going to cost the taxpayers money. Or you shouldn't be doing those risky activities because you, you could potentially have a really bad accident and end up hospitalized and that'll cost the taxpayers money. Think about all the control you're possibly giving away. Every time you expect the government to do something for you or give you something, nothing is free. So anyway, I've got a couple of guests with me in the studio. I've got Greg Cunningham, which was recently in the primary election, and he won his primary. Congratulations, Greg. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and I've got Sharon, the nurse, which has rejoined me again. And uh, she's, always, she's always interesting to talk to. Thank you. <laughs> so while I take a drink of water, you guys, what do you think about this whole nanny state thing? Ma'am, I'll defer to you. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, um, as the nanny state... Uh, you know, goes along with uh, the mandates for vaccines. Um, I will tell you that that has affected me uh, personally as a nurse of 31 years. I've been mandated out of 90% of jobs because I made a decision about my own health. I had robust natural immunity from being thrown into two hospital ICUs in my area during the first and second quote unquote wave. Um, and it's not a vaccine. I like to say that every single time we talk about the vaccine, it's messenger RNA with a nanoparticle carrier just to get it through the cell membrane. The cell membrane apparently doesn't like it. <laughs> so it needs to slide in with a, a lipid nanoparticle just to get inside. Um, I'm not into it. The moment I heard that it wasn't a typical vaccine, I backed down. That was my decision and I have paid for that. Not by getting COVID and dying, but by being financially punished. So the nanny state, you know. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you that, first of all, I see my role here today as sort of 
uh, color commentary, if that makes any sense to you. Well, Greg, you know what I want you to do first is give everybody a little bit of idea of your background, because I think you got a, an awesome background, and I think it's going to be very relevant to this conversation. Actually, good point. I probably should pre yeah, preface yeah. everything. Uh, born and raised here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, attended Manal High School. Uh, attended the old University of Albuquerque, which is St. Pius now, until it closed down. Once the U of A closed down, I joined the Marine Corps in 1987. Uh, while in the Marine Corps, I earned the title of Reconnaissance Marine, which is Special Forces. I w was attached to and activated for Desert, Sto or Desert Shield at the time it was called, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. I went over with second reconnaissance out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Uh, I was in combat in Kuwait and in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the majority of our combat was, we experienced it before the actual ground war started. I was reconnaissance. Our job was to be ahead of the, the uh, Marines and call in artillery, air, gather intelligence, do things like that. So that was our job. So again, I did earned my combat action ribbon there. When I was getting out of the Marine Corps, I had several uh, offers from police departments around the country to join their department, but I wanted to come home. I decided to come home and, and work with the Albuquerque Police Department, which I joined in 1989. I worked six years in uniform all, all over the city, mostly graveyard. Uh, again, you can imagine as a rookie, you're given the worst days off and the worst parts of town, all that fun stuff. Now, when you were working in the graveyard shift, were you working by yourself or were you with a partner? By myself. That's got to be scary, isn't it? Uh, Not having somebody watching your back? Well, our, our beats are right next to each other. So there are yeah. other officers that are close by that are near you. But yes, that, that is something that you have to overcome is, is realize that you're on your own and the decisions you make uh, better be good ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you're going to pay. Um, but, but I always knew, again, you know, I'll never liken working the Albuquerque Police Department to, say, state police. You know, those troopers, you know, when they stop a car in Eunice, New Mexico, or JAL, they are truly on their own for a while. And I, I never felt alone in that, in that manner. I always felt like there was help close by. Um, in 1996, I was asked to join the narcotics unit. So I joined a street team, which means we were dealing with street level narcotics. And at the time, crack cocaine was the popular drug and drugs are, are cyclical in, in popularity. And at the time, the crack cocaine was our biggest problem. So buying rocks of crack on the streets of Albuquerque was, that was my job. Uh, writing search warrants, identifying problems, groups of people that, you know, we needed to identify and try to arrest. Uh, from there, I got chosen to go to uh, DEA, which was an, a national. So I, I went from working in Albuquerque with local ordinances and statutes to working uh, national cases with U U codes, United States codes. So working with the U.S. Attorney's Office, with federal judges, um, I, I've done thousands of search warrants. I've done uh, Title Threes, which are wiretaps. I've written them. Um, I'm familiar with them. I've worked with thousands of informants. I've done thousands of undercover buys. 
you know, I, I just have a lot of experience dealing with people and, and in Albuquerque. Uh, I retired in 2009 from the Albuquerque Police Department and I worked narcotics for the Sheriff's Department for two years. So I, in, in total, I did 22 years in law enforcement here in Albuquerque. Awesome, thank you for your service. Well, thank you. Um, I opened my own business in 2011 and that's still going to this day. It is a, I'm a security consultant. I do personal security. I learned those skills working with the Secret Service. Uh, I worked very closely with them in 2004 and 2008 for the presidential elections. Okay. Uh, we were a swing state in both elections and between the two, we did hundreds of visits. So I have personally met and protected three living presidents and, and all the, the people around them. I've been around them. I've taken them to their hotel rooms, to dinner, you know, just intimately around them. And, you know, my, my experience with politicians at the time, anyone that tells you there's no such thing as royalty in, in America has never been around a national politician. They, they are treated as royalty. They, we close down intersections for them. We, when we, they go to restaurants, we give them their own rooms, their own servers. Basically, they're in a bubble. They, they don't experience life the way we experience life. And, and I, I attribute some of their decisions or non-decisions they make to that bubble that they're in. I think they become detached. That's what I was thinking. It's like when you said that, it's like how can they possibly relate to everyday Americans when they don't live ultimate they don't really live with everyday americans they, they don't. get put in that bubble they do and and even yeah. the, the people that surround them and i saw this with a lot of the the movie stars and actors that were part of their entourages when they would come it was it was sort of the same dynamic they're surrounded by people that work for them so when you have that dynamic you know, everything they say is hilarious. Everything they say is intelligent or witty because the people around them work for them. Mm -hmm. And so... It's like you want to keep your job, you better think I'm funny. Well, pretty, pretty much. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you said it much more bluntly than, than yeah. I was trying to say it. But yes, they, they become... They, they hear this constant chatter about how smart they are and how funny they are and they start to really believe that after a while they start to really believe that everything they say is intelligent you know and the funny thing is too that that makes me think of something when you're talking about how these people live in a bubble politicians live in a bubble how do they do a good job when they're living in this bubble and, and they're they're just out of touch with what's going on with regular people but celebrities if they're famous enough they live in the same kind of bubble and yet a lot of people take what they say as like they're the authority on yes. something yet they live in a bubble and they have no idea what regular people do either it, it is a weird dynamic it, it, they, they do take on that sort of personality trait of like i said everything i say is intelligent and is funny but the reality of that is a lot of the people that they're talking to don't break down what they're saying and they do accept what they're saying as fact. And so it's this weird sort of circle of no one is there checking these people, telling them like, you, you know, you, you know we're, we're regular people. If we say something wrong, somebody tells us. Somebody in our family, you know, our spouse, somebody says, hey, what? You know, they, they call us on it. Right. They, they check us and they, right. they force us to step back and go, yeah, that was dumb. I shouldn't have said that or, or whatever. But these people don't have that. No. And, and so 
You know, to say even, well, the, you know, they take so much flack online, or they honestly, they don't, they don't pay attention to that because they are so insulated and so surrounded by people that reinforce what they believe about themselves that it, it doesn't affect them. It's and, a weird thing. You know, think about this. We've got currently a an acting president of the United States. I really have trouble uh, accepting yeah. the fact that he was actually elected. But we've got a president of the United States that has been living in a bubble for 50 years. Yes. And I, I don't think he's ever really been very smart. And now he's literally losing his mind. So Andy lives in a bubble. Yeah. And yet he's, he's making decisions for all of us that could end up really, really bad. And they, we have seen how it's really had bad consequences for our country. Absolutely. All the things he's done. I mean, the, the out-of-control inflation, the gas prices, uh, the shells being empty of baby formula. Suddenly the whole world it seems to be at war. Hmm. All of that has changed since he has taken over as president. Well, it's funny, you know, I'll go back to when I retired and started my, my business, I really thought that my days of, of fighting were, were over. My plan was to... You had hoped, right? Uh, well, that was my plan. You know, <laughs> I've, I've spent my entire life, you know, either in the Marine Corps fighting or on the police department fighting, and that's just been... And again, you talked about personal choice. I, I chose those things. Those were my callings in life. So I, I'm not complaining about that. I, I chose that, and I, I accepted that responsibility. And really, I feel like the last two years with the, everything that's happened, I felt like they brought the fight to my door, and, and my fight was not over. I mean, either, either we were going to leave or we were going to stand and fight. And I'm from here. I'm stubborn. I love this place. I love our children. I love our grandchildren. I love our people. And we chose to stand. And here we are. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure you probably agree with me when I say that I never imagined that we would see these sort of things happening Not in America. All. I Not just at all. I, I I never imagined it. It's like, you know, before the past couple of years, yeah, that nanny state mentality was was creeping in, but it was not overly intrusive. It's like, okay, yeah, it's like no big deal. Is that really worth fighting for? Uh, probably not. You know, just like the whole thing with the seatbelt law and stuff like that. It's like I've always thought it was unconstitutional, but as a personal choice, I do it because for, for my own quality of life. Yeah, well, uh, you know, f for me, being, being a police officer, I'm sort of in a, a, a weird spot between, you know, that was my job was to enforce the laws. And so now stepping back away from that and, and seeing that, I realize to some degree and, and again, this is, you know, personal opinion and, and observation. We're being conditioned. We're being conditioned to accept. I want to go back to something you said about fear, controlling people with fear. Fear is one of those emotions, and I see it. I've seen it as a police officer, as a Marine, in, in critical incidents. Fear is like anger. Those, those two emotions, when you are feeling those two, one of those two emotions, you, you cannot reason. You can't think of anything else. They dominate your critical thinking. When a person is afraid, they cannot think critically. Or when a person is angry, nothing else gets in. That emotion supersedes everything else. And so that's part of... So when you, if you keep a person afraid, 
they're they're going to be unable to think for themselves and think through the situation that they're going through and that's that's what you train as a police officer you train that's why you train so much because when when a critical incident happens you revert to your training you you do what you've done a thousand times before right and and that's reverting to your training and if you're not trained and you're just afraid you're going to freeze and that's what that's what we've done as a society. We've frozen. Well, our governor did a great job of uh, putting everyone into panic. I remember she was doing some television show, and I was listening, and uh, she basically said these words on on television: "When you step out your door, assume that you can infect everyone around you, and they can infect you." And I thought, <laughs> lady. And, you know, as a clinician of so long, I thought. So what she did was she conditioned the people, like you were speaking about, Greg, she conditioned the people to be afraid, but it was afraid within the confines of a parent-child relationship, an abusive parent-child relationship. I mean, she literally talked down to her constituents like they were children, and they took it, like a lot of them took it. A lot of us didn't, but, yeah. you know, the majority did here in this state, and that, that's pretty frightening. I don't really know what to do about that. It's still bothering me when I see people riding their bikes with masks on. Well, okay, it's time to take a, a short break, and we'll be back. And I want to uh, kind of tie up that that line of discussion. And then I also want to, I watched the January 6th committee hearing on TV last night, and I wanted to talk a, lot, uh, a little bit about that as well as the primary election in, results in New Mexico. I think there's a lot to talk about there. So we will be right back. Interested in getting your concealed carry permit? Perkins Protection Training offers state-approved concealed carry classes for both New Mexico and Utah, taught by a certified NRA instructor, local woman-owned and ran by husband-and-wife team since 2004. Individual coaching, ensuring every student learns according to their individual needs, complete with pre-class and follow-up tutoring. One-on-one, -on -one, beginner, and advanced classes also available. Mention KDAZ for 10% off class. Call 505-238-1214. That's 505-238-1214 or on the web at Perkins Protection training.com longing to be free of pain free of pain meds to move freely and easily again call dr lynn today 505-200-0271 riverlightcommunitypt.com 505-200-0271 here at Agave Builders, we are a veteran, family-owned company since 1993. If you have a small honey-do list or need a home built, we can help you with that. So call us at 505-385-6680. Do you have a hard time getting in and out of your bathtub? We are also a premier walk-in tub dealer. We can help you with those aches and pains of getting in and out. Find us at agavebuildersnm.com. 
We are also a VA certified company that helps qualified veterans obtain grants through the VA and other nonprofits to repair or remodel their home. Find us at agavebuildersnm.com, look us up on Facebook, or call us 505-385-6680. That's 505-385-6680. The sleepy, dusty Delta day I was out chopping cotton And my brother was baling hay And at dinner time we stopped And walked back to the house to eat And mama hollered at the back door Y'all remember to wipe your feet She said, I got some news this morning from Choctaw Ridge. Today, Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. Oh, yeah, I love that song. Hey, welcome back to Freedom Speak. I'm your host, Becca Marie, and you are listening to Conservative Talk ABQ 96.9 FM, 700 AM, and you can listen from anywhere at conservativetalkabq.com. I was told the other day by somebody that I was talking to that I've got people listening all over the country. I've got people in multiple states listening to this show that's like, oh, that's great. I love it. So if you have questions or comments... Please email me at beccamarienm at gmail.com. And I'm here with a couple of great guests, Greg Cunningham and Sharon the Nurse. <laughs> I could call her Sharon New Mexico. That's her on Facebook. <laughs> anyway, she's, she chooses to be somewhat anonymous. Anyway, so we've been talking about uh, a lot of things. You know, one thing I wanted to bring up is last week, as you all might know, I was out last week and uh, we had to run a repeat, which actually Sharon was on last week's uh, repeat. But I, uh, I caught that flu that's going around and uh, almost everybody I talk to catches, it, you know, it seems like every year that there's this bug that goes around and it manages to work its way through everyone somehow. And, but... The one thing I hear nowadays, no matter what you catch, whether it's an allergy problem or if it's the seasonal flu like I got last week, they say, oh, do you have COVID? It's like, why does everything <laughs> got to be COVID? My gosh, they've got people conditioned so much into thinking everything is COVID. It doesn't matter of the symptoms or anything else. If you, you know, you, you, you have a temperature, you have a headache, you have a cough, uh, you, anything, it's COVID, no, it's not. It isn't. There is such a thing as the seasonal flu. It's been happening my entire lifetime that I can remember. And sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes there's this, uh, what, they, what we always classify as like the 24 or the 48-hour bug mm -hmm. that goes around where you get like super sick to your stomach and you're like, you know, living, yeah. living at the porcelain uh, happened throne. to the and, cooties? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, these things happen. And it's like, uh, you know, and I, well, we're going to talk about more of that in the second hour, but mm -hmm. I've, I've got some interesting thoughts on that. And, but anyway, so was there anything else that you guys wanted to add to what we were talking about in the first segment or before we move on? Just or? one thing, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. You, you, you used the word safe. Yeah. Uh, I, I struggle with that word. 
Yeah. As again, as a Marine and as a police officer, I think that word is it's it's a misnomer. I don't think you can make people safe. No. We can. So when people say we're going to make you safe, we're going to make you safe. I bristle at that. To to me, the the more accurate word and and words matter. You know, that's part of our conversation is. They're changing our vernacular. They're changing the words to mean different things. And so if words matter, I would rather the word be secure than safe. We can secure things, mm -hmm. but we can't make things safe. And so yeah. really that's the only thing I was Life is about. not safe, not if you're living. Thank if you're you. living, life is not safe. Thank and you. hospitals used to be considered safe. They are definitely no, not. No, no. I, I will avoid hospitals if at all possible because I have the things we've found out over the last couple of years, the hospitals and the whole concept of of especially now than being owned by big by big corporations in which their only consideration is making a profit. And and this whole concept of, of protocols coming down from the big corporation saying, well, you will follow these protocols. And it's like the doctors are like, well, well, yeah, but this might kill my patient. Doesn't matter. That's the protocol. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to follow. You know, I just, again, when someone says we're going to keep you safe, to me, that means either the person doesn't understand the meaning of that word or... They're hoodwinking you. Have you know this new this new phrase that got started over the past couple of years that I don't really understand the meaning of it, where people started telling others stay safe. Yes. What does that mean? Uh, again, I, I don't even know what that means. Nor do I. It's just these generic terms. And yeah. Again, and we just accept them as oh okay, but the word safe is not. It's not applicable in our society. In any society, again, no. there is a certain degree of risk live in life and as an individual you have to make that choice are you going to live your life or are you going to try to be safe you know i got me a new harley davidson motorcycle about a month ago good for and, you and oh my god stay it's so safe fun. yeah, yeah right. <laughs> not possible anyways and 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 i've had numerous people say oh well i just ride on a motorcycle it's just too dangerous yeah might be dangerous you know but uh it's fun it is. And I'm going to live my life. And, and And me being a Christian, I, I can tell you that I have a strong belief that when my day and time comes, it's going to come. Oh, I, whether I'm riding on my motorcycle or whether I'm sitting at home reading a book and doing nothing, you know, I, I, I look at it this way. I'm active. I'm out doing things. That's probably keeping me more healthy. I have a... a I, I don't think I have any more chance of dying early than anybody else no and and Let's again it's not. no yeah i mean it's you know to make choices like that i ride bikes myself so i accept that responsibility what do you have well i have a 2015 street glide nice and a 2018 road glide i'm embarrassed to say that <laughs> you told me that the other yes. day what is that kind of like driving a minivan uh no it's just the fact that there's two of them it seems yeah. obsessive i mean <laughs> And it seems like too much, so I'm embarrassed to say it out loud. I got me a 2020 Heritage. Oh, that's a, my very with, first with bike. With a 114. My very first bike was a Heritage, yeah. 1992. Yeah, I'm just happy. I just love the rumble. You know, before before that, I, I, I drove a Honda. I had a Honda for many, many years. I traded it in, which was kind of hard to do, but I didn't have room for both of them. So I traded it in, and it was such a beautiful bike. They, they took it without any question whatsoever. But I... I 
it's different driving a Harley. You you really feel like you're riding a motorcycle. It is. That's the best I can describe it. It is. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It is. But no, I mean, again, you know, when you talk about taking risk, I mean, you can, you know, you, you can make decisions that accelerate the process. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, yes, there's risk in everything in riding a bike. How I ride my motorcycle, yes, it's inherently dangerous, but depending on how I choose to operate that motorcycle, I can certainly right. accelerate the process to meeting God. Sure, right. So, you know, yeah. it's, again, it's personal choice. Yeah. So, hey, I wanted to talk about this January 6th hearing yesterday, and I know both you guys probably have a lot to say about this. I know I certainly do. I took a lot of notes. And I suffered through it. I watched it. And I uh, watched it on multiple networks. I didn't want to get a, a biased... Um, you know, opinion from like one network. I, I honestly, I do prefer watching OAN or Newsmax or, or sometimes Fox because I, I, they agree with my, with my point of view on things. Conservatism, conservatism, constitutionalism, those sort of things. But I watch other things too because I do this I like to be well informed. I like to know what other what the others are doing. So I watched CNN. I watched MSNBC commentary last night. I watched Newsmax. I, I you know I watched all of them, and so I made some observations and I made some notes. And it's like and I watched the footage that they played, and it was presented kind of like a uh, like a terrible uh, hollywood movie in which you know there's this it's the end of the world and there's total total chaos but you have to you have to listen to what people are saying and you have to pick the facts out of that and and you can do that you can critically think and watch msnbc not and everyone CNN. can critically think not though. everybody they can they were counting no. on the ones that can they they were you're right but you know, one thing I, I heard them mention is as they're showing this footage of all, all of this um, violence going on, is they made the point that these were a couple of groups that showed up at the Capitol before the Trump rally was over. Now, I did catch them say that, and it's like, okay, so I'm thinking, so when they... They actually got off buses. Yeah, I heard that too. We saw. Yeah. So... And who were these people? Now, they, they claimed they were Proud Boys, and they claimed they were, um, what was the other group that they said? Um, Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. Now, and then CNN, they, they described Proud Boys as being white supremacists. Now, I've met some Proud Boys. They're not white supremacists. I don't, I, where did they even get that idea? And why did they have to inject that in the conversation? It's like, were, were they out there holding signs saying I'm a white supremacist? I, I, no. And, and the thing with the Oath Keepers being, they said the Oath Keepers were anti-government. No. The Oath Keepers are pro-constitution. And what we have seen over the past couple of years and what we saw on that whole so-called fraud of an election process that happened for 2020 is we did not see something that looked constitutional. And a lot of people are really mad about this. And were there people that got so mad that they went over the edge and got a little bit violent? Yeah, I think so. Were, were these people that showed up early were they actual Oath Keepers and Proud Boys? I don't know. I think that's in question. Well, there was a guy the night before. Um, what was his name again? The guy that they, they can't seem to find now. 
charges were never filed. He was inciting people to, the night before, to go inside. We have to go inside. That guy, um, yeah. his name starts with an E, the last name. I cannot oh, remember. Oh, God, I can't I'm remember sorry. his name. Um, anyway, uh, he was inciting people the night before, and they did. And then, you know, Trump did say, you know, now we should peacefully make our way over to the Capitol and whatnot. Now, by the way, on that video, if you watch that video they played last night on the committee, they edited what Trump said and said, now I want us to march to the Capitol. That, according to their video, that's what Trump said, but that's not what he said. He said, now let's march peacefully and patriotically to the I'm Capitol. Sorry, they edited that out. but marching to the Capitol is still not... But it sounds a, a lot different. I don't care how it yeah, sounds. Yeah, I know what you're We're saying. We're allowed to march to we the Capitol. We are allowed. We are allowed. But what I said it's is... It's our they, house. What I'm saying is they try to manipulate <laughs> the public opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and God help these people that are in the D.C. gulags right now that are trying to get out because they are going to be trying to make it... They're going to turn everybody against these people and make, make it seem like everybody that was at the January 6th thing were some kind of crazy insurrectionist people. My feeling is they're going to Julian Assange, those people. They're going to keep them in there as long as they can, without charges, without due process, and they're going to demonize them and just let them stay there as long as possible. And I, I can't stand it. Some of them were just in there walking with cameras. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they tried to save Roseanne Boylan's life. And she was murdered. Yeah. No one talks about her. It was all about Ashley Babbitt, which I feel also really bad about. But uh, where is the investigation into the police officer that beat her? Yeah. And where is the one for the shooting of an unarmed woman? Where is the investigation that they always want for police? Well, you know, we've seen over the past couple of years, you can be, you can be a thug with a, with a criminal record a mile long. And you can be just, you know, a thug and you can be... Uh, you can be arrested and something can happen to you in which the you end up dead, you know, like the uh, uh, Floyd, George Floyd thing. And you get memorialized and you have a, nation, you have a, a, a national uh, funeral that looks something like royalty in England or something, like, like, you know, like a royal funeral or something. You get that. But Ashley Babbitt... Uh, which was, in my opinion, just killed in cold blood. She was unarmed. And by the way, they, they try to make it seem as though, when they say insurrection, they try to make it seem as though these people were, were armed or something like that. But, you know, if, if it's an insurrection, this is like the worst insurrection I could ever imagine having. I mean, if I was going to have a real insurrection, everybody would be armed, can right? I, can I tell you, if they meant to have an insurrection... It would have succeeded. It would have succeeded. If that was their yeah. goal, they would have done it. Right. There are it patriots in this country, there were and they would have executed there, that. There were enough people there, <laughs> would, it, would, it would have been successful. I mean, <laughs> if everybody would have had guns, I'm sorry, we'd still have the Capitol now. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. But no, it was, it was, a, it was a peaceful protest in which there was a small group, which before the main group even arrived there, had gotten violent. And I really, really find that really suspicious about who those people really were. And, and you, you 
Greg, you wanted to talk a little bit about how a how a mob can kind of take on a mind of its own from your experience in law enforcement. Uh, yes, and, and again, I'll I'll go back to what I said initially. You know, you two, as I see it, are the analysts. I'll let you analyze <laughs> that day. I, I'm I'm the the color commentary person. I'm Tony Romo without talent. Yeah. and a bank account. So <laughs> yeah. that's how I see my role here. Um, I do have experience in crowds. I do have experience with um, civil disobedience. In the early 2000s, I was working in the criminal intelligence unit, which is at the time was considered the CIA of the police department. We were handpicked. We did not write reports. We didn't go to court. We were just the problem solvers. We were the fixers. Uh, we knew that there was some anti-war stuff coming. Uh, we wanted to be at the ground level of that. So we heard about a meeting that was happening at a restaurant across from UNM. At the time I had, I looked um, a lot rougher than I do now. I had long hair, big goatee, just different. And my sergeant asked me to go in the restaurant and sit at a table nearby so I could try to hear what these people were saying. Well, as it turned out, they were the only people in the restaurant, these people that were meeting to discuss anti-war stuff. And so it would have looked ridiculous if I tried to sit there by myself and try to listen to them. So what I did was I got up and I joined them. And I managed to ingratiate myself to them to the point where they accepted me into their group and we exchanged numbers and email addresses. And I was, from that point on, an anti-war um, demonstrator. <laughs> yeah. So have, I probably did, oh my gosh, 20 or 30 demonstrations, protests, mostly peaceful. But I can tell you that within the crowd, there are certain people that we would call them agitators, you know, which, you know, obviously we didn't make that up. But so for us, the agitators, my job was to identify them and to try to remove them from the crowd before they could get that mob mentality going. And that's what happened. There was um, many people that live here remember in front of UNM bookstore, we had a riot one night and you could feel the the mood in the crowd. We were in front of UNM bookstore. All the uniformed officers were lined up on Central. And there was probably three or four agitators that were trying to get the crowd to step off of the sidewalk and onto Central. And the uniforms were there and they were holding it. And 99% of the crowd was adhering to what the police wanted them to do. It was just these, like I said, maybe three or four people you know, jumping up and down, whipping up the crowd. Well, for some reason, our command staff, and, and again, this I'm not here to judge or say good decision, bad decision on their part or why they made it, but being in the crowd, our tactical people made the decision to back off. And I know that they're, I believe that their motivation was to avoid conflict, but it really had the exact opposite effect. Once the officers stepped back and those agitators saw that, they jumped off and it was like a fire, like gas was poured on a fire. You could just, it was like, we got it. We have the streets, they're ours. And everybody got into that group think and that mentality. And about an hour later, it was, they were throwing 
Molotov cocktails at each other, at the police, and police were using bean bags on people. I mean, it, it was chaos. But it all went back to those four people that were whipping the crowd up that were allowed to take the streets. And once that happened, there was no, there was no going back. And I'd like to believe that, you know, the, the capital or the people in, in Washington, they made some of the same decisions. I, I want to believe that their decisions were made critically at the time for the right reasons, but it didn't turn out right. And, you know, when, when you allow agitators and you allow a crowd to take control of the streets, well, we see what happens. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't end well. And the crowd was really large, larger than the media is willing to say. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, there's photos and video, you know, mm -hmm. that's how I know. It was a lot, a lot of people. And uh, just the sheer numbers headed towards a building that's only so big is a threat you would think you wouldn't see on video a Capitol Police officer waving people through a gate. That actually happened. So that's very mysterious. What's also mysterious is they had that like tower uh, scaffold type thing that people were up there with flags waving and they kept saying, forward, forward, move forward. It's on all the recordings. Forward, forward, move forward. And there, you know, um, there were reports of a guy, um, I have the description of his clothing, going through the crowd saying, come on, everyone, come over to the Capitol. What is this BS? You know, mm -hmm. keeping it clean for the radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just Thank really you. agitating them. And I, I don't, there was, according to the people who stated things about this man, he had no Trump gear on, nothing about red, white, and blue. He was just like this guy and he was alone, but there were uh, also people uh, telling people to go, um, go pee behind the bushes over there because there were no bathrooms. It was almost like there were setups everywhere. And um, there's reports of patriots just being hit on the back of the head suddenly by Antifa. Uh, and, and the Antifa could be uh, identified by basically having no red, white, and blue or any flag or anything right. because, you know, there were a lot of patriots and veterans and very good people there. Um, but there, you know, I, I've seen one video of them just straight going up to um, a patriot holding a flag, people singing the national anthem, you know, and getting biffed in the back of the head and not one person went and hit this. What they did was they circled them and held the flag like towards them and chased them out. They didn't touch them. They didn't do anything nefarious. Um, but it was a constant battle to keep that, um, you know how the, the yin and yang symbol mm -hmm. and the duality of the universe, you know, you have good and evil. It was like this constant uh, homeostasis that had to be kept. And at a certain point that tipped. And I, I also think it tipped when people started uh, screaming about Pence. Yeah. It kind of lit them where it was already lit. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, but the thing I find interesting is that the smaller group that arrived early and got the, got the things going and knocked down the barricades and, and, and got all that done. And then when the, when the main, when the group marched from the rally that Trump was at, the larger group of grandmas, grandpas, just patriots, people carrying flags, stuff like that. And they arrive there and there aren't any barricades. So they just walked 
on forward, which I almost went there myself, but I didn't, thank goodness. But if I would have gone there and I would have seen no barricades, I mean, I would have thought, oh, well, uh, no barricades, I can proceed on forward to wherever. And But but you're right, it, and then it, it got this thing started and it got this mob mentality going and then it just, I saw, I've seen the videos of when the Patriots arrived from the rally and, and everything was opened up, including the doors to the Capitol. And so people were just kind of walking in like they were part of a tour group. Well, you know, someone unlocked the door. It's a special secure door that has to be unlocked I would think the that it wouldn't be easy to open that door. Just like someone opened the school in Uvalde, Texas. Yeah. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah, I you think know, so. Who opened the doors? Right. We right. need to ask who opened the doors and invited this chaos and murder. Yeah. So anyway, so... But the thing is, a lot of people are mad about what happened in 2020. And, and they're still pushing this narrative of no, no voter fraud. And they were doing this last night during this ridiculous uh, January 6th committee meeting that they were having because we have no representation from the other side in there at all. Liz Cheney is not a Republican. You know, she's a rhino. And she's we, a deep state operative. Big time. Sorry. And so we have we have <laughs> no representation on the other. Basically what it was like watching this thing last night. It was like watching a a court trial in which somebody's on trial and there's only prosecution and no defense. I mean that's what it looked like to me. It wasn't a hearing. It was a no, statement. It was, was a leftist it was a statement. statement. It was a statement with a <laughs> Hollywood-produced movie, which they played, which portrayed the the kind of narrative that they want to push. And we do know that there was election fraud, and it was rampant, and it was huge. Why They keep ignoring these facts, and of course, there's nobody there to bring up these facts because people like Jim Jordan weren't allowed to be on this committee. Well, you know... I'll go back, to, and I don't know how much time we, we have. We have a couple minutes, so um, we'll wrap it. We, we can we can continue this discussion well, in the I, next I just, hour for a little bit. You actually. were talking about people being angry, and, and that's yeah. that's okay. That's you know, and even going back to um, my experience at the restaurant, there was probably thirty people there, and they were there was the majority of them were just legitimately angry about the war mm -hmm. and they wanted their feelings known. Whether right. I agree with that or not, that's who we are. We're Americans. That's what we're supposed to be able to do. And it was just a very small group of people that had no interest in anything political at all. They were just there for civil disobedience. And we have to be careful between lumping everybody together as you know, insurrectionists, if that's the word they're going to use against yeah. us, or as agitators, because the majority of the people that even I dealt with, even though I disagreed with them, they were not agitators. They were just there legitimately to express their views, but those views got... Co-opted. Co-opted and taken over to the point where no one could hear their message anymore because of the violence that happened. So, yeah. you know, again, I'm just trying to give my personal experience with it and we need to be careful with painting with too broad a brush yeah so guys we're going to wrap the first hour here and then we'll we'll uh we'll we'll wrap up this conversation about january 6th in the next hour and then also i've got a lot of really interesting new information about the covid scamdemic that i want to talk about so we'll be right back